I'm going to pray. God, thank you so much uh, for the privilege to preach your word. God, I just pray that this would be a faith-building message and that um, it would meet your uh, sons and daughters wherever they're at. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We're in a series called Battles and Blessings, and we're exploring the book of Joshua. And Joshua is this incredible uh, leader, this, this incredible servant of God in the Bible. And if you haven't like gotten the like kind of catch-ups from Joshua 1, Joshua 2, our previous messages, um, please, please, please catch up. You're going to need that context. Um, and I'm going to give you a little bit of it, but it's going to be so much richer as you get to hear from Julian um, what he preached in week one and week two. Um, but my message today is called Small Victories. Small Victories. I feel like... Uh, You wouldn't know this about me, but I like movies. I fancy myself a storytelling connoisseur. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not a storyteller. Um, I mean, I dabble, I guess, but I really like stories. And one of the things um, that one one awesome date with me that Amy and I went on, um, I'll remember this. I don't know if she remembers this, but uh, I told her what makes a good movie. And I believe that what makes a good movie is a good villain, right? You think about this, like, you you have a good villain. Think about Jaws, the movie Jaws. It's about a shark. You've seen Jaws. You know about Jaws. This shark, this great white shark, it's so stinking scary. Like, the beachgoers are doing their thing, just having a good day at the beach. And then Chomp, this is a good villain, right? And then you get the the notes. Dun-dun, dun-dun. Dun, dun, dun. It builds the tension, my gosh. And then the shark. What a good villain, right? And by the end of the movie, you're like, you're rooting for, the guy cusses, so I'm not going to quote it. But like, you're rooting for this shark to go down. Or if you're like me, you're into the MCU, Thanos. He's a good villain. I am inevitable. My Josh Brolin's strong, y'all. <laughs> He's, it's such a good villain, right? Because like, even he, he has complexity, he has layers. You kind of understand his motivation, but he's unquestionably evil. Think of like a, a good villain, maybe your favorite movie, favorite book, favorite, maybe you even read comic books. Favorite villain. Why villains are so good in storytelling is because they, they help us root for the hero. And, and even the best heroes help us put ourselves in their place. So we see ourselves fighting the villain. We see ourselves, I am Iron Man. Right? Like we can, if you do storytelling right, we can really transport the, the story receiver into the place of the hero against this villain. We give them a chance to taste the triumph of the story. That's easy though, Right? I mean, nobody's going into Avengers Endgame in like full Thanos gear and they're like, yeah, man, I'm rooting for Thanos. No, like you want the Avengers to win. Like you want Cap and Iron Man. You want the good guys to win. What about, what about the Sandlot? Bad News Bears, we love an underdog story, right? Right, Mighty Ducks. 
You got to have the like, just those kids can't even be in high school. Like, it's like, why is a college hockey team playing against a high school hockey team or middle school? And it's like, these guys are yoked and full grown adults. Like that guy has a goatee and I'm supposed to believe he's a, a high school hockey player. And they just roll in and it's like, oh, well, like I got, these kids have to beat them. They have to beat them. Like it's, it, the world isn't fair if the underdogs don't win. We love to root for underdogs and you can't get an underdog I mean, what if the Mighty Ducks, right? Everybody's lined up. It's a flying B, V, but it's against like the equally like distraught and dysfunctional kids. Like it's literally like the Mighty Ducks versus the Bad News Bears of hockey. Like it's like nobody's like, oh, I don't know who to root for. That's what I want to talk about. What, are, what do we do in the battles that are subtle and small and we don't know who to root for? What do we do when it's not clear between good and evil? In the fight for faith, the battles, when the difference between good and bad is clear, I feel like those are simpler to deal with. I'm not saying they're easier, but they're simpler. What about the struggle between good and good? What about the struggle between good and good? I face that struggle a lot when Amy asks me what I want for dinner. Yeah, hey, babe, what are you thinking for dinner? I don't know. What are you thinking? What sounds good to you? I don't know, what do you think about like uh, tender greens or we could do chipotle? I don't know, tender greens sounds good, so does chipotle. That's so hard. I hate, dude, honestly, I feel like 80% of our fights are like solved if we have like a dinner menu planned. (laughs) Like, how do you pick between like, oh, well, that sounds good and this sounds good. I don't know, what are you feeling like? We do this, it's like a half hour conversation. And by the time, like, by the time we're done talking about what we want to have for dinner, I would literally eat cardboard. <laughs> just like, I would lit- just give me a, ba- a takeout bag from anywhere and that's what I'm, I'm going to put ketchup on the takeout bag and just chomp through that. What do you, how do you pick between good and good? And I felt like as I was like praying for my battles and blessings message, I really felt like God challenged me to address that, to, to share the complicated battles, the ones that get a little less simple, um, the battles where we have to choose between good and good. How do we choose those battles and still get to God's promise? And how do we not get stalled in our indecision and continue to make progress to our promise? So we're going to read uh, Jordan 3 and see if we can find anything. Uh, Jordan 3, Joshua 3. It's about crossing the Jordan, right? So I, I keep saying that. There's no book of the Bible named Jordan, but it's a great name. A lot of people I know, I love, that are named Jordan. Joshua 3, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. I don't know, yeah, Shittim. We're going to go with Shittim on that one. And went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levite priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep your distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Before I get to my first point, I just want to highlight something. It says to follow the ark of the covenant. This is Joshua talking to Israel. He says, follow the ark of the covenant. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. A lot of us are believing for big things. A lot of us are believing for big goals, dreams, promises that God's put on our heart. And 
if you have never been that way before. I don't want us to miss this. God's willing to go before you into that thing to make a way for you. And so if you can let that process play out, I think you'll get an easier access to some of these promises, right? Let God go before you because you've never maybe gone that way before. Maybe, maybe that's the only thing you need out of this message right now, actually, that the key to where you want to go because you've never been there is to just let God go first and follow him there. That's how Israel gets across the Jordan, spoilers. But I want to highlight this in my first point. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. So there's rules at this point about going near the ark, being in the presence of God. And I don't want to get into all that because it's complicated. But what I want to get into is how many cubits, what is a cubit? 2,000 cubits is about 3,000 feet. That's a little bit more than half a mile. That's a long way. That's like from, um, we're at Wilshire in Normandy. I think like Western is probably about half a mile, maybe a little bit more than that. So I want you to think about this. Amy is like somebody, she's like holy, holier than anyone I know. Um, So she would be like a Levite and God's like, hey, send Amy to Western, right? Because she's gonna go to Western and she's gonna create a miracle and you're actually gonna be a half mile away from her, but you're gonna be able to get the results of what she's doing way over there. So we need margin. So the first battle I want to highlight is the battle between margin and mission. Margin versus mission. God had to make a wide space. So some Bible scholars believe that there was almost two and a half million people that had to make this crossing. And they they make it pretty quickly. And so you have to think about um, the actual space that was created in this miracle that we're about to talk about was close to 20 miles. And so this miracle couldn't happen if there wasn't a wide berth. That's a funny, a wide berth, right? So there had to be space for them to travel across. And now these battles that I'm going to talk about, this first one, margin versus mission, there's nothing wrong with the mission. The mission is good. We're, tr- we're getting to the promised land. We're going to go get victory. We heard what the spies said. The Rahab told them they're afraid of us. Let's go. There's nothing bad about that. They're actually activating and responding to the promise that God said. But he needed to create some margin for them to get them to that promise. Right? And so in this moment, when they're choosing between mission and margin, they need to choose the margin. Right? Because And God's going to create that margin, but they have to choose that. Right? And so uh, a lot of us, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I have to admit something. And I'm going to walk you through like a funny thing I do. Um, whenever Amy and I take a trip, I like, I look, I go, okay, we're going on a seven day trip. And so I pack my outfits and I like literally plan the week. I'm like, okay, Monday, I think we're going to go like snorkeling. So I'm going to wear like this tank top and this like overshirt. And then I got to bring a change when we get back to the hotel. So then like I get Monday done, right? And then I go Tuesday and I go through the whole week. Like I kind of like role play my way through the week of like, what am I going to pack? Right. And then and then I do this thing where I'm like, okay, and I need three safety outfits. What if it rains? What if it's colder than I think? What if it's warmer than I think? And I get I have like contingency outfits. So I have like I'm probably on plan F or G of like what I've packed for. And like, I mean, guys, when I get home to do laundry after a trip, it's like maybe two thirds, like not even like two thirds of what I packed is still clean. 
Like, I'm literally telling you, like, a third of what I like, wore, and then the rest of it, I just unpack it and put it back in the closet. It's absurd. But, and then here's the best part. I try to pack as small as possible. And when I say small, I'm like, I'm only going to bring my carry-on. So I have, a, for a six-day trip, I have 19 days worth of clothes and, and, like, three pairs of shoes. And I'm, like, in a carry-on, and I'm, like, just sitting on it, trying to do this move where you zip and I'm not going to use the extender. No, because then it won't go in the overhead. And my gosh, we're getting it in the overhead. Or we are going to have words on the tarmac. I'm getting it in the overhead. So I'm just like, hey, babe, can I put like a sweater in your bag and maybe my jacket uh, and, and the pair of shoes I'm wearing right now? Yeah, okay, awesome, Thanks. Right, and the zipper is just like earning every bit of its paycheck. <laughs> we stuff our lives this full. Hey, look at your Google calendar. Look at your week. Don't we kind of do this, right? It's like, okay, I've got 24 hours today. So I'm going to fit 32 hours in. And I'm going to brag about how I did it, right? I was so efficient. I was driving and I knew I would hit traffic on the 405. So I made that call to this guy. And then when I got to my place, I was just early enough to send that email. And then I went to that lunch, but I also was still checking email while I was at that lunch. And then I was in this meeting and I was also in another meeting at the same time. I was on a Zoom and a FaceTime at the same time. I call it Zoom time. <laughs> and we don't call it a mistake. We need margin. Man, how, can you imagine all the promises we're believing for? The mission that God's called you to. What if we just need to let him go first and create enough margin in our schedule, in our lives? What if the only thing holding you back, what if the only barrier between where you're at today and the miracle that God wants to do to get you in your promise is just, there's just not enough margin for him to work with. I can't bring my promise through this because it's a little too crowded. Usually when I get involved, I give it a wide berth. We got to pick margin over mission. And this, this series is called Battles and Blessings. I'm going to give you a blessing that comes when you win this battle. Intimacy with God. Part of the vision of our church is that we would see lives transformed through intimacy with Jesus, God, and each other. And I think one of the things that happens in the margin, in the blank space, is that we grow in intimacy. Think about it. Every positive memory that you have with your significant other or your family that you love, they probably happen in margin, in the, in the downtime after a meal, or in the car on the way to a, a trip or a destination. And I think sometimes we don't give God enough margin to develop intimacy, right? It's like, okay, I've got about 10 minutes before the kids wake up, so I'm going to do my devotional. All right, get it in. I don't even have time to sit with God about it, right? Or, hey, God, I'm just really needing you to show up at work. Oh, Judy, she just makes me so mad. All right, off we go. We don't even pause. What do you have to say about Judy, God? <laughs> and I think we just need to have some unplanned time. It's the unplanned time, I'm telling you. The unplanned time with each other. The unplanned time with God. I really believe for, for some of us that God's blessing for us is in the margin. It's in the margin. 
Some of us just get so distracted by going on mission. Let, let God create some margin and just see, just see if there's some intimacy with him and with others that comes from it. We're going to pick up at verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went to them, went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel. So they may know that I'm with you. And as I was with Moses, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. If you haven't heard this story before, when the Levite priests, when the priests that Joshua assigned this task to, when they followed those instructions, the waters parted. And like I said earlier, they parted to the degree that they created a 20-mile like space of dry land. And like Julian mentioned or alluded to, they parted when, when it was like the most difficult time. It was the flood season of the Jordan. And this, like, I need to like, <laughs> I put myself in the space of one of these guys. And it's like, okay, yeah, this Joshua guy, like he's been hanging out with Moses for a long time. I've heard great things about him. I think he's a good leader. He's a good boss. He does that, like, cool. Like, he, he gave the extra week of vacation. So, like, we like Joshua. But did you, can you believe this? Like, he's, it's, does he know it's flood season? We got to go stand in the Jordan? Like, how am I going to stand in the Jordan? The waters are going to sweep me away, right? And they, like, they roll up, and they're, like, you know, I, I'm, like, the left guy. Like, I'm holding the left arm of the ark. So I'm, and I'm front, right? You're like the first guy. I'm like, I want to be the guy in the back that day. Like, all right, Joe, go in there, man. You got it, bro. Like jump in, right? <laughs> no, you're this guy. I'm going to get, I'm going to step from here. You're this guy. And you're like, it's really Russian today. <laughs> That's pretty high too, right? Like, Hey, uh, Hey, actually, let's put the ark down. I'm going to go. We're calling a meeting. Uh, get Joshua in the room. Hey, Joshua, did you know there's fords like three miles that way? We could just cross there. Did you know? I just want to know if you know. Did you know? Also, just pro tip, don't be that guy at work. Come on. Don't, don't ask your boss, did you know? Come on, dude. Like he knew, or maybe he's Joshua. Maybe he's not prophetic. I don't know. Right? But these guys, they had to have wanted to call the meeting and go, Joshua, hey, just so you know, if we wait like three weeks, uh, the Jordan's like six feet, like we could probably like cross and a couple people might need to swim and that's it. And honestly, there's bridges over there. Like, I, I'm like, I got to think about these guys. Like, I'm like, what on earth? Like, who's like, yup, let's go. <laughs> like, I, it, it blows my mind. They had to have fought a battle. And the battle that I think they fought is the word versus the work. They, I'm, I'm seeing them and I'm, I'm watching them get what I, I would believe is an assignment, right? Their leader says, go do this. Well, like, I agree, it's an assignment. And it's the assignment is the dumbest thing I've ever, like, what? Like, who, who doesn't go like, I quit, right? Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, are you a roofer and your boss is like, hey, here's the hammer. Go like tile that roof. Uh, where's the nails? You don't need nails. Go tile the roof. Like what? Like it just doesn't, it makes no sense to me. 
But it was God's word. And I want to highlight something. Um, this group of people did something really unique that I noticed in Joshua 1. And Joshua 1's like really popular verse. We like always preach it. And it's like, oh, be strong and courageous because it says it so many times. The fourth time it says it, it wasn't God saying it to Joshua. It was the people telling him. And I think sometimes we get distracted by the work that we got assigned because we don't have enough people saying the word that God said to us. You go tell your friends, they're like, can you believe this Joshua guy? And they're like, yeah, but you remember God said? I mean, like, and I just think about even Joshua, like how much confidence did he have when he went to the people and he's like, guys, this is what I'm hearing. This is amazing. And then when they respond and they're like, yeah, and like God said, be bold and courageous. My goodness, the word versus the work. And so like, I mean, like Julian talked a little bit about this last week. Some of us have like the two and then we have the 10, right? And the, one of the ways I want to just maybe encourage you is that you can evaluate the two by how they talk to you. If they're saying what God said to you, that they're the ones that you should be listening to and not the ones that are like, well, I mean, yeah, that's idiotic. Not Joshua. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Come on, let's be honest. You got to get people around you that declare God's word over you if you want to win this battle. Because the work is good work. We're getting assigned by God to serve a city. We're getting assigned by God to serve our jobs. We're getting assignments from heaven. The work is good work. But if the people around you aren't reminding you of what God's word was, you might not win this battle. And the blessing you'll miss out on is extraordinary experiences with minimal effort. Twenty miles of dry land. What? Okay, one step. Twenty miles of dry land. What's your twenty miles of dry land? One step. Lead actor, feature film. One step. Husband. One step. Mother. One step. Reconcile with my dad. One step. I met Jesus. What, what's one step away? What's one step away? That if you just take the step, that God's going to go, whoosh, 20 miles of dry land, let's go. One step. Extraordinary experiences. God doing the miraculous and doing all of the work. One step. One step. That's the reward if we can win this battle. If we can trust God at his word. Another thing I noticed about Joshua, you know, when we talk about this miracle, it's hard not to compare it to the Red Sea. One of Moses' most famous story, famous stories. They're running out of exile. They're running from slavery. And the Egyptians are chasing the, the Israelites under Moses' leadership. They get to the Red Sea. He lifts his staff. The sea parts. They run. The Egyptians chase them, and they get drowned. Incredible. And now we have another parting of waters. And I wonder if it was tempting for Joshua to grab his staff and lift it over the waters when he found out that that's what they were going to do. You see, he was told that they would go across on dry land. He already knew. And he's like, oh, I've got context for the miracle. You grab a staff, you raise it over the waters, they part, everybody goes across, boom, boom, boom. I think Joshua had won a battle. And the battle I think he won was the battle between learning versus leading. Leading is good. We need leaders. 
We need leaders. I love leadership. I pride myself on learning about it. But Joshua was a learner. See, one of the, the, the parts of Moses' story that we can't forget is that one of his decisions is what limited him from getting to go to the promised land with Israel. You see, in Exodus, there's a miracle. The Israelites were thirsty, and he goes to God, and he's like, hey, I need to get them some water. And he's like, hey, the delivery truck's coming. They're going to drop off one of the big jugs, and you're going to be good. No, he, he, he asks Moses to strike a rock, and he does it, and Israel drinks water. And then there's another story in Numbers. They're thirsty again. They're thirsty again. And he's like, okay, God, they're thirsty. What do you want me to do? And God says, speak to the rock. And Moses, and he goes and he strikes it again. And I can imagine Joshua. Joshua was around. Joshua was there for this. He was there for both of these. And he, he sees this happen. And he goes, oh, man. He, he could have done the miracle. And just because he didn't do it the way God said, God still did the miracle, but Moses couldn't go into the promised land. So when God asks me to do a miracle, I'm going to do exactly what he says. Right? Because I'm sure Joshua, they had that meeting, and he's like, hey, listen, guys, I know there's the fords over there. We could walk down there. I know that guy saw them come through there, too. I sent the spies that way. That's how they got over there. Your, your boys, these guys, they, the, the two I sent over there, they went that way. I know the way. But that's not what God said. And we have to follow God's instructions to a T, because I don't want any of us to miss out on the promise. And I feel like that's the, that's the word for us. We got to follow his instruction. We got to learn from others that are following his instruction so that we don't miss out on the promise. You see, Joshua is able to learn from what I would call Moses' mistake. And the promise that he got, it says in verse 7, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel. I think sometimes, if I'm honest, even in my own leadership, I get excited about stepping out and showing what I'm capable of so I can exalt myself. And maybe that was what happened to Moses. I don't know what was going through his head. But maybe he's like, man, if I just talk to the rock, the people in the back aren't going to hear me. And they're not going to know that I participated in God's miracle. So he struck it so everyone could see him. I don't know. I, like, that's, that's not, that's like me speculating. But Joshua, Joshua did something I think that's so profound. He trusted that God would exalt him. So he's like, God, I'm going to do this your way. I'm going to send somebody else to take the first step. Because me, I'd have been like, all right, cool. So just a step in the river by the anointed feet of your chosen. And then cool. Okay, great. I'm going first. And then I'll get swept away. <laughs> like, right? Like it's probably one of those whoosh, you know? Like, because it, it wasn't supposed to be the leader. It was supposed to be one of the Levites that consecrated themselves. And I think so many times we get so excited about leading, that's good, but we forget that we need to prioritize learning. That's good too. We gotta learn from the mistakes of others and we gotta learn from the instruction of our heavenly father. One more battle and then we'll finish this, this particular bit of scripture. The battle between inspiration versus imitation. That's, uh, <laughs> I feel like imitation is such a great way to like even piggyback off of the last point, to learn, right? But if we don't graduate from imitation to inspiration, we're, we're not maybe winning this battle and getting the blessing that comes. You see, 
I feel like Joshua had this chance to like really like emulate. He had this great leader and he, he got favor in his past with him because he would do what he did, right? Moses would go into God's presence and linger. Joshua would linger longer. And that's part of how he got this assignment. But he knew to graduate into inspiration. He gets compared to Moses so many times throughout scripture throughout this very scripture, that, that, that God would be with Joshua as he was with Moses, but that he wouldn't have to walk as Moses to get that blessing. He understood the battle between the inspiration and the imitation. And he knew, he knew, okay, I'm going to do a similar miracle, but I'm going to do it my way. Ephesians 2.10 alludes to us. It says we're all God's masterpiece. I'm just paraphrasing that a little bit. Because I feel like the blessing that we get from winning the battle between inspiration and imitation is we get to step into our unique calling and emphasis on unique. Put it in the chat. Grab your butterfly emoji. Put that in the chat, right? We want to be unique. We want to be butterflies. We all have thumbprints and we all reference how our uniqueness, but then some of us, I think, often lose the battle against the temptation to imitate others. And if we're a masterpiece, if we're a masterpiece, I feel like maybe we grieve God a little bit when we imitate. When we don't create our own from inspiration. I don't know, like if I could get the Mona Lisa, the authentic Mona Lisa, right? And I was like, and I'm just going to paint over it, this fine art. I'm just going to like white roller, imagine my white roller. Like, and then I get like a little like Sharpie and I'm like, I'm going to do one of those like really trendy one line drawings now of the Mona Lisa though, right? Pop the cap and I get in here and I'm drawing it and you're like, dang, that's so good. He's a really good one line drawer. Oh my gosh. It looks just like the Mona Lisa, but underneath it is the masterpiece. And then over it is this like facsimile copy that's like, honestly, it's just not what the Mona Lisa was supposed to be. And I just want to, I I want to create a distinction for you. That there's a place for that art. It's just not over that canvas. Right? This this art, my one line drawing of the Mona Lisa was fire in my imagination and yours. I hope. Honestly, did you not draw it cute? Why? (laughs) I'm a good artist. I don't know why you don't believe in me. Use your imagination and now change it to a cute one. Change it. She looks really good. And I got the smile just right. You got it? I'll give you a little more time. That's not good enough. Better. There it is. All right, right? Mona Lisa that I drew, great. And now it stands beside that, right? It's my own unique take, but I didn't perfectly imitate it. Because if I tried, and I tried to sell you my painting, and technically there's people that do this, they go to jail, it's counterfeiting, right? Like, and there are people that make a living out of creating fake art and selling it as real. There's a cool Netflix documentary. I won't get into it, but check it out. But like people do to this. This is like a thing people do, right? They do these really impressive fakes to pass it off as real. And I feel like sometimes we live our calling this way. I mean, honestly, like, you know how hard it is? <laughs> Can I be real? You know how hard it is to not get up here and try to like imitate Julian? He's really good at this. <laughs> like he's incredible. We're so blessed to have the communicator we have in him. And it's so hard to go like, okay, like how do I, okay, he does this and he goes that way. And how do I do my version of that? And it's like, no, I got to do my version of me. 
It's actually part of my process as I prepare to do this. That I ask God, what's the message you would have for me today that would be authentic to me and authentic to the message you have for your people? Right? Because I don't want to miss out on stepping into the unique moment that only I can step into because at the end of the day, no one can be you for you. I started uh, working out like a month ago. And uh, one of the things, it's like literally like the cheesiest stuff. I'm so embarrassed a little bit about it. But like, hey, I'm making steps to like get my health right, okay? Uh, But like, I literally picked it because the guy's like yoked, of course. But like, he also sounds a little bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's like Bavarian or whatever that is. And it's like, he sounds just like Arnold. And I'm like, I trust anybody that sounds like Arnold. And I'm like, the, the voice has nothing to do with how jacked you're going to get. But I'm also like doing the workouts like, yes, I'm getting my pump on. And I'm like, no, this is not helping, but it's, it's, I, I'm broken. I am working on it, okay? But the point is I'm getting healthy. And one of the, the moments that happens because I'm doing this like on videos, it's like just me and I'm like <laughs> in our bedroom and like the, the weirdest little like nook that we have. But I'm like in our bedroom and it's just me and, and the trainer He's really good. He goes, he's like, only you can do the work for you. Fight for this moment. Only you can do that. Like, and it, like, it just dawned on me. It's like, man, yeah, nobody can do push-ups for me. Or I would be jacked. I'd be paying somebody. Like, honestly, like, if I could just get, like, one of my friends, like, you know, like, hey, go run five miles and burn the 900 calories I just ate. Like, I'd be, like, jacked. It's just impossible. You have to do the work. We have to do the work. We have to do the work to step into our calling. We have to go to our Jordan at the rushing season when we could have gone to that place and gotten across. We have to go face our rushing waters and only we can take our step. Only we can take our step. I wish I could take your step for you. Honest, I would do it. I would take the step for everybody. I would. Like I care about people stepping into their calling. The closest I can get is sharing this thought with you and believing that God would stir your faith, your faith in your feet. Julian talked a little bit about the soles of our feet, uh, I think in week one. And it ties in so beautifully because it was a step into the river. He said, wherever you go would be blessed. And I don't think they took it as practically, like I'm gonna have to trust a step pick up in nine and continue to the end. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the the list of their enemies. (laughs) See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men. This is for later in chapter four. You'll know why. Choose 12 men from each of the tribes, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. And the Jordan was at flood stage all during the harvest. As the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabeth, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who called the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had, completely, had completed the crossing on dry land. I'm going to invite the team up and uh, 
you can uh, grab this too, Grant. I feel like some of us maybe have stepped in and we're, we're like in the middle. And I know like it's 20 miles, so I, I know that this is an inaccurate picture of like where they were standing, but I just picture them in the wall of water behind them. They say it was potentially 120 feet high. And I'm just thinking about this guy, the guy that first stepped in, right? Had to do the really brave thing. And we're like, man, little go him. He stepped into the rushing waters. I really think his brave moment is standing here. That's really high water. Hey, Joe, how quick you think that would kill us if it crashed down on us? Don't talk like that. You think it's going to take them a while? I just keep seeing them pass by into my promise. This sucks. Soul in the ark. Watching two and a half million people walk by into my promise. (sighs) Best not to look. (laughs) Where do I look? Right? You're standing in the middle, in the gap season, waiting for God to bring you across to your promise, but you've got to watch all these other people. And in the meantime, you've got to be strong and courageous about 120 feet of your past, your brokenness, your hangups, just looming over you. I really just feel like I want to encourage us today We just got to step in. Take the step. Take the step. Let God create the margin. Take the step. Let God do the miracle. Just take the step. And maybe you've already taken the step and you're like, okay, I'm standing here and it's going to be a while. Let them take their steps because your promise is still there. And there's still plenty of room for you. And honestly, the cool thing about the Levite priests, they got a special portion. And so maybe you're like, I'm, 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 a, I'm one of those people. Uh, can I promise you a special portion? I feel like God wants you to know there's a special portion. There's a promise for your step. And there's a portion if you have to stand. But I want us to stir our faith today to stir our faith, reading about Joshua, reading about potentially two and a half million people crossing dry land, that God did a miracle in a place that it shouldn't have happened at a time that it shouldn't have happened. Maybe you're looking at your Jordan River and you're going, this isn't the time, this isn't the place, but you just need to take a step. You just need to take a step. And so we're going to close this this time in worship We're going to go back into, I'm going to see a victory. You got to practice it at the top. This time we're going to sing it with all of our heart. You're watching online and I know maybe you're like finishing your breakfast. Maybe you're driving. So keep focused on the road, please. Maybe you're listening to this on a podcast while you fold your laundry. Whatever you're doing, I want you to, if you can, stop and engage in this moment. Stand at the edge of your Jordan. Stand at the edge of your Jordan and take the step or stand in the middle on the dry dry ground 
watching people pass you by into the promise and take a stand. Both had to be bold and courageous, right? And so I want you to declare your victory. I want you to declare your promise. And maybe this is your step. Maybe it's just getting up and standing in faith and singing this over that situation, looking at your Jordan and reminding yourself that the two spies came back and they said, they're afraid of you. You, son or daughter of God, they're afraid of you. Nothing can stand against you because you have God behind you. You have a victory. They are afraid of you. So stand in your promise and let them walk on by because you've got a special portion or step into your Jordan. Even if the rushing rivers seem like this is dangerous, step into it. You don't have to go down. You don't have to wait. You can step in and get your miracle and get your promise. This is the time. Get up right now and declare in faith that you see a victory.